Fellowship is when you see in someone else's struggle, your own struggle, and you choose to join them in. The word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means things in common. That's what it means. When we think of fellowship, we think, hey, we're going to have free donuts and coffee at church. The New Testament koinonia is, I realize that someone can't pay their bills and I can't, so I pay their bill for them. Sharing things in common, having a reality that we says, it's not just about mine, It's about ours. And what God has given me, I can steward it for other people. The term fellowship is one we hear in churches all the time. We probably think it just means gathering together, or as Pastor Daniel puts it, free donuts and coffee. Today, however, we learn that the true meaning of fellowship is assisting one another in whatever way it's needed. God has blessed each of us with talents and resources so that we can be a blessing to others as we get to know each other. We need to find ways to fellowship as well. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Living on the East Side. Out of the 12 spies, 10 of them said, listen, it's a good land, but we're going to get crushed in there. The cities are huge. We are too small. We can't do it. And two men, Caleb And Joshua said, no, 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 listen, it is a good land. And yes, there are big cities, but the Lord is with us. Now, at that point, the children of Israel were at a crossroads. If they followed the counsel of Caleb and Joshua, they would have entered the promised land 38 years earlier, right then, because God had promised them the land. But they chose to trust the counsel of people who didn't trust God. And they made their decision. And that entire generation died in the wilderness. And Moses is like, look, we had this happen already. We were about to go in. If they would have just said, look, it's huge land. It's an amazing land. Look at this fruit. And there are big cities, but we trust in a God who's bigger than human might. Let's go take it. If the children would have done that, they would have went right in. And now Moses is like, look, we've been here already. This happened already. And he's concerned that what Gad and Reuben and half tribe of Manasseh are doing is the exact same thing. And he's concerned about them. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. And he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have holy followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that has done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy All these. He's saying to them, listen, you guys are a chip off the old block. You're just like your dads. Now listen, whatever your parents were or weren't, you have a new dad now. And we have to decide if we're going to be a chip off 
the old block of our physical parents or of our heavenly father. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all of our parents were horrible, but some of your parents were horrible. Some of your parents just like, and if you're younger, you think your parents are horrible. They may not be right now. With time, you may realize that they weren't really so bad. But we have to decide who we're going to be like. And the beauty of following Jesus is that your heavenly father says, look, I want to teach you a more excellent way to live. And how many of us, as we've gotten older, find our parents coming out of us? Right? It's amazing. I remember I used to tell me, I'm never going to be like you. And now I say things to my kids. I'm like, wow, when did my dad take up residence in my life? Like that. Like, it's just like something. I'm like, whoa. And then I'll be like, you're so much like your dad right now. I'm like, come on. The lack of faith of your parents doesn't have to be your lack of faith. If your parents were spiritually vibrant, just because they were doesn't mean that you're going to be. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so he's really, Moses saying to him, listen, you're at a crossroads again. Right now, you're just being like your fathers who all died in the wilderness. And if you make their decision, we're all going to die. You're all going to die in the wilderness too. Or you can follow the Lord. And if you follow the Lord, the Lord is going to bring you into this promised land. And my friends, I believe all of us are at that same crossroads. Like the Lord is saying, look, I want to take you somewhere where you've never been. And maybe your parents didn't do it, or maybe your friends aren't doing it, but I want to take you in. Will you follow me? And that's why as a church, we talk about simply responding to Jesus, right? That's our mission. And I love that. I was just talking to a, a guy today in Nashville. I was on a conference call and he's like, he's like, so what's the mission of crossroads? I'm like, simply responding to Jesus. He's like, oh, that's really good. And we started talking. He's like, man, he's like, that's, that's, that's about a life of worship. That's about, I'm like, yeah, and all of our lives are created to be worshiped, not just singing songs. We live lives of worship. And worship is simply, we're responding to the rhythms of God's grace. We're responding to the rhythms of God's mercy. We're responding to the rhythms of God's majesty and God's wisdom and God's forgiveness. And we live our lives responding to that. And just like the children of Israel, we're all standing there right now. Will you respond to Jesus? Will you respond to the promptings of the Spirit to say, listen, I want you to stop doing that. And I want you to start doing this. I want you to step over the Jordan into the promised land, into the life that I created you and recreate and I'm recreating you for. Or are you just kind of stuck? Most of us don't think about this moment as the most critical moment of our lives. But truly, at every moment, it is, isn't it? Because the victories of yesterday do not ensure victories today. The crushing defeats of yesterday does not ensure a crushing defeat of today. How often in the Bible do you find someone have a great, phenomenal victory and then the next moment crash and burn pretty good? One of my favorite ones of those, and I think God called Peter to be an apostle just to encourage people like me. Remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked them, was it Matthew 16? Who do men say that I am? You say, some said this, some said this, Elijah the prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter probably said, man, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, Petey, my boy. You know, he doesn't say that, but it's like, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. I mean, he's like, Peter, God told you that. And you can imagine Peter being like, yeah, I'm a prophet. God's speaking to me. Looking at Andrew and James and John, be like, Haha, suckers, you know? I'm Jesus' favorite. You didn't think I was going to say sucker in the pulpit, did you? Sorry. 
but I'm embellishing on the story, right? But then what happens next? Because they realize he's the Christ, he's like, now listen, the son of man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to be, he's going to raise from the dead on the third day. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, come on, dude. It ain't going to happen for you like that. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the ways of God. Like, God told you. And he's like, now you're a tempter. You're deceiving. Peter was just the man. And he went from being the man to the goat in a New York minute. Because just because you got something right doesn't mean you're going to get the next thing right. And we have to embrace every moment as an important moment in our lives. Because how many of us, you have something great that goes on in the next minute, it's bad. I mean, what about the disciples? Remember when Peter, James, and John followed Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw his essential glory turned outward, and they're like, man, they're the only ones, you're never going to believe what happened. And they go down, there's a demon-possessed kid, and they can't cast it out. Yesterday's victory will not ensure tomorrow's victory or today's victory. Every day, we need to step up to the plate. And so make sure, make sure that you are following Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are people who follow on the heels of Jesus. And you may have followed Jesus yesterday. It doesn't mean you're going to be following him today. And that's true for me as well. I'm not preaching down on anyone. I'm living this too. I realize I'm one bad decision away from mailing it all in. And that bad decision can happen at any moment. And so we need to take the moments seriously. Now, from there, look what happens in verse 16. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities, for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel have received his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. So really what they say is they give Moses an assurance. They speak to his objections. They say, look, we're going to build sheepfolds here so we can keep our livestock, but we're going to go on in with you. And we're going to fight for the children of Israel. They're saying, listen, we're not just going to be lazy and hang out here. We're, although we want to live here, we're going to go in with the people and we're going to fight the battles that's in front of them. Now, what I love about this, and again, if you read commentaries, people are like, oh, well, they're just assuaging Moses' concerns and their heart's not really there. And again, I don't want to ascribe motive. I don't really know. But one of the things I do like is they say, listen, even though we might not fight battles, we're going to go fight with our family. When was the last time you knew of a brother or sister who was going through something, and even though it wasn't your battle, you chose to go in and join them? You know what that's called, my friends? That's called fellowship. Fellowship is when you see in someone else's struggle your own struggle, and you choose to join them in it. The word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means things in common. That's what it means. When we think of fellowship, we think, hey, we're going to have free donuts and coffee at church. The New Testament koinonia is, I realize that someone can't pay their bills and I can't, so I pay their bill for them. Sharing things in common. Having a reality that we says, it's not just about mine, it's about ours. 
and what God has given me, I can steward it for other people. That's a challenging word. I mean, I think we quite like the idea of koinonia being donuts, you know, because it's, it doesn't have any depth to it. It doesn't have any heart to it. You can eat donuts with some. I mean, I'll eat donuts with anybody. You know what I mean? But it's like koinonia is literally saying, my happiness and blessing is tied up in your happiness and blessing. All that I have and given from the Lord is actually meant to be a blessing. Now, what happens when I talk like that, of course, is there's always people in church who are like, okay, so everybody's stuff is here to bless me. No, give me, give me. And then praise God for the works. Is if you won't work, you won't eat. So there's always people who want to leech onto the church and say, because I don't feel like doing anything, you're the church. Then you got to do everything for me. It's like, well, hold on a second. The church doesn't exist to entitle people to not follow Jesus either. So there's a balance there. But I really want to encourage you, because I think for a lot of us, God has ministry opportunities available for us by joining the people around us in what they're going through and just to be there with them. The idea of ministry as holding space for people. When was the last time someone went through something and you were just there? You don't even know why you're there, but you're like, they're there. They need a brother or sister. They need like Moses when they battled the Amalekites. As long as he kept his arms up, they were winning the battle. But he couldn't keep it. It was a long battle. And so Aaron and Hur came and they sat Moses down and they held his arms up. Do you ever try and hold your arms up for a long time? No, you don't. You know why? Because it's tiring after a little while. You know, you watch some of these movies like that movie Unbreakable about prisoners of war and how they abuse these guys by making them stand up all, like you couldn't stand up all night. All these different things. It's like holding your arms up for a long time gets really tired. Your arms start feeling like they're a thousand pounds. And sometimes our life starts feeling like a thousand pounds. And you need a brother or sister to come alongside and be like, look, sit down, I'm going to hold your arms up. That's what the tribe of Reuben and Gad are responding. Like, look, we want to live on this side, but we're going to go fight the battles even though it's on the other side. Can we do it that way? Now, in verse 20, you see what happens. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note that you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks and all of our livestock will be here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle just as the Lord says. So Moses gave Command, verse 28, concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben come over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of of Canaan. So really what goes on is Moses says to the people, look, if what you say you're going to do, you're going to do, then great. 
And if you don't, you sinned against God. Now, I want you to notice all that's going on in the promised land. All of this is about the Lord. Notice in verse 20, you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war. Notice in verse 21, before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him. So the inhabitants of the promised land, they're the Lord's enemies. This is, the battle's really the Lord's. And notice verse 22, and the land is subdued before the Lord. So you gotta realize that this battle that's gonna come, this is the Lord's battle. And if you read all the way back in the book of Genesis, God delivered the children of Israel when the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorites came to a full. So God knew 400 plus years before that I was going to have to judge this group of people at this point. Shows the foreknowledge of God, God's understanding of everything before it happens. So this battle is ordained by God, and Moses is saying, I'm going to hold you to what you've said. You're going to go over, and you're going to fight the battle. And if you don't, you've sinned against God, and that phrase that we know but we don't really believe And be sure your sin will find you out. The end of verse 23. Pops up again in Galatians chapter 6, other places. Listen, like when you get a warning like that, you got to take a moment. Don't think that whatever sin you're doing that you think nobody knows, it's ignorance to think that that won't come to light because it always does. Your sin will find you out. It will always come to light. You might say, well, it hasn't come to light yet, but listen. Don't think that God's patience in bringing it to light is his acceptance or approval of what you're doing. It will come out. It always does. And you might say, well, maybe it won't. On the day of judgment, it'll definitely come out. Don't miss that. Like, even if you don't get the punishment this side of eternity for the ways of iniquity, it will come out. It always does. And so when you realize that whatever I think I'm getting away with, I'm really not getting away with because God is the all-seeing one and he knows it, that changes the way we live. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, it's always easy to be holy when somebody is looking over your shoulder. That's the beauty of accountability. Accountability, if you know someone's going to ask you how you're doing with that, it's a lot easier to not do that because you don't want to have to fess up that you're doing it. Now, here's the reality. Jesus loves you too much to take his eyes off you. He's always looking over our shoulders. There's not one thing that you do that the true and living God isn't completely aware of. Now, that's not scare tactics. That's just life in the kingdom. That's what it means to be a creature with an all-knowing creator. So you have to realize that whatever you think you're getting away with, you're not getting away with. It's just a matter of when it's going to come out. So the best way to deal with it is Don't do it. You know, it's like, if you know my sin's gonna come out, then don't do it. Or if you're struggling, bring accountability into your life. Tell somebody who you trust, who loves the Lord, and say, look, this is what my struggle is. And you know what the thing is? They're not gonna judge you if they really love Jesus because they got their own set of struggles. And they're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna check in on you and see how you're doing. In a lot of ways, I think that's the strength of the 12-step programs is that there's accountability involved. The issue, of course, is they don't make it about Jesus, and so they leave it theologically open-ended to reach the most people, but the accountability structure is necessary when you're struggling. And guess what? All of us are in recovery. You know that, right? 
There's not one of us who's not in recovery. Like, we all are in recovery. As Pastor Greg Young said, we're all renovation projects. All of us are. We're all in the process of being made new in Jesus, and we all got baggage. It's just a matter of what kind it is. And so we need that accountability. And if you're struggling with something, don't be afraid to tell somebody else, hey, look, I'm struggling with this. And if they really love Jesus, they're not going to be like, oh, you rotten sinner. They're going to be like, man, I struggle with stuff too. Let me pray for you. Let me check in on you. See how you're doing with that. We've got to do battle against it. And as we saw people go into war for other people's battles, that's what fellowship is all about. Now, notice by the end of this little section, Moses actually talks to Eliezer and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the tribes. Why? Because Moses isn't going to be able to go into the promised land either. They're not going to start fighting these battles until after Moses dies and Joshua's in. So even though they've been talking to Moses, Moses says, okay, everybody who's really going to be there, this is what's going to go on. This is how it's going to work out. Now, from there in verse 31, look at what it says. It says, then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, as the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of God, Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities within its borders, and the cities of the surrounding country to the children of Gad built Dibon and Adaroth and Aror, Athroth and Sophan and Jazer and Jogbaha. Good name for your baby daughter, Jogbaha. Anyway, that's not in the Bible. Verse 36, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran fortified cities and folds her sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Elie and Kerjathaim, Nebo and Baalmeon, their names being changed, and Shibba, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. And so Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Haboth Jair, then Nobah, went and took Kenneth and its villages, and he called it Noba after his own name. And so what we find here is now we get a recapitulation, and we see the lands that were given to Gad and Reuben. And you notice all the way through, I've been including the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they kind of pop up at the end. Now, what's interesting about this is many people growing up in the church heard, well, the first five books of Moses are written by Moses. We call them the five books of Moses. But then you get a section like what we have here, where all of a sudden it's like, well, they built this city, they built this city, they went and they dispossessed the Amorites and all this stuff. And it reads about stuff that happened after Moses was gone. So other scholars have the idea, they call it source theory, where what we call the Pentateuch or the first five books were actually compiled by different authors. Jesus is... When we need help with something, where can we turn? Pastor Daniel today explained the biblical view of fellowship and how the Israelites came to each other's aid in times of need. We too can rely on our fellow believers and can offer our services in return. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, 
What is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living, and he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessing. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel takes us on a quick tour of the Israelites' history. This pause in the story, or Selah, is a great time to reflect on what God has done for His chosen people and what He's done for us as well. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Preparation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. 